It's time for a Year Gal Friday flashback episode. We're re-airing an episode of our sister show that ties into a gal pal's one cool thing. Earlier this week, Katie talked about Helen Thomas, a White House reporter who shot straight from the hip. Well, the gals were reminded of another notorious gal who is currently holding her place on the highest court in the land. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Supreme Court justice story is a wonderful follow-up to Helen Thomas, as they are both trailblazing women in Washington. Enjoy this Flashback Friday episode about the life and legacy of RBG. Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Dr. Leah Leach. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today, we are talking about a gal who hails from Brooklyn, New York, works in D.C., and is notorious. She's the 107th justice to the U.S. Supreme Court and started as a lawyer for women's rights. We're happy to be releasing this episode on her 86th birthday. So happy birthday to your gal, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm sorry (laughs) I interrupted, but I was really excited. (laughs) I know we've got a birthday gal in our midst. This is a first. Today is her birthday. And it's super cool we get to release this on her birthday, and we don't have to talk about how she died, because that's always sad. Like, she's alive and with us, and like, happy birthday! (laughs) Anyways, we're a little excited today. I had a little... very excited. I had had a little coffee today, too, so... (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yes, yes, all right. So, when I first heard of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it was actually from my running friend, Liz. Um, I was actually at her house after... We ran a half marathon together. It was our first, both of our first half marathon, and we were both kind of zombies. And it, it, but it was good. It was fun. It was a good zombie. It was a it tired. Was a good we zo- did a thing, zombie. Yes, absolutely. So we were chilling at her house, and her and her husband were watching Saturday Night Live, and it was specifically the episode where Kate McKinnon played Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Nice. Now I avoid the news and politics pretty much at all costs so i never heard of rbg before this which is kind of embarrassing um but liz and her husband excitedly gave me a two minute rundown before we watched the sketch and i was amazed it was Ah. oh my gosh just by the way they portrayed her in the sketch it was like okay she's she's cool me and leah both watched the documentary on hulu just entitled rbg Yes, and it's a great I, doc. I highly recommend so it to everybody. Good. I think it was mm-hmm. made just last year, so it's very, very up to date. I yes. think it was, and it was just nominated for an Academy Award. It did not win, but it was nominated for yeah, an Academy that's Award. Right. That's yeah. right. Um, so in that documentary, they actually showed Ruth Bader Ginsburg watching the Saturday Night Live uh-huh. clip, which was really fun for me because I'm like, that's how I know you. And she she was like <laughs> laughing at herself. And they were like, is that anything like you, how you are? And she's like, no, but it's great. Right. <laughs> she thought it was funny. She did. She thought, I was, didn't think it was like her at all, but she thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh my gosh, just says a lot about a person to me. Yeah. I dig it. I digress. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let's start back to the beginning. Yes. How did she start off? Where did she grow up? Well, Ruth was born as Joan Ruth Bader on March 15th today, 1933. It's so cool we could release this episode on her 86th birthday. Um, Yes. So she was born in Brooklyn, New York. Her parents were Cecilia and Nathan Bader, and she described in the documentary that she is a first-generation American on her father's side and second-generation on her mother's. I thought this was a really cool way to put it and very eloquent, so I kind of had to quote her on that. Yeah. Now, her mother was Austrian-Jewish, and her father was a Jewish immigrant from Odessa, Ukraine, which is... Which, if you think about it, I feel like there's nothing more American than coming from somewhere else completely. So I thought that was a really cool starting point for her. Yeah. So Ruth had an older sister who died from meningitis when Ruth was just over a year old. Now, Ruth described her as a kick baby. And so her nickname growing up was actually Kiki, which is kind of cute. Adorable. 
Right. And that was her nickname until she started school. Now, in her class, there were several other girls with the name Joan. So her mother suggested that she go by Ruth instead to avoid confusion. And I guess it just stuck from there. Yeah. Um, Ruth grew up in a Jewish household, which is interesting to me, given some of her political views, honestly. Yeah. But Ruth learned Hebrew and acted as a young rabbi. Like the woman of the season so far... Ruth's mother took an active role in her education, making sure she got the best. Um, Now, she graduated high school at just 15 years old. Her mother taught her the value of being a lady and yet being independent. Now, what that meant was being a lady, as in controlling your temper, speaking calmly and kindly and yet strongly. Now, being independent, meaning if you find a soulmate, then that is great, but do well enough for yourself that you can take care of yourself. Now, Ruth's mother struggled with cancer all through Ruth's high school years. It was said in the documentary that maybe she was fighting hard to get Ruth through high school before she passed on. And she did just that. Ruth missed graduation day because of her mother's passing just the day before. So sad. It's like bittersweet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. She made it. She got there. uh, But just, yeah. uh, Just like a day or two short of the ceremony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. Well, Ruth went to Cornell University, where she was awarded a full scholarship. At Cornell, she would meet three men who would influence her life. One was Professor Vladimir Nokoboff, who, according to Britannica, quote, shaped her thinking about writing. Another was Professor Robert Cushman, who inspired her to become a lawyer, as he himself was a constitutional lawyer and saw great promise in her. The third was Martin Ginsburg. Marty was not a professor. He was a student, just like Ruth. And in the documentary RBG, uh, Ruth herself says of meeting Marty, quote, that was the most fortunate thing that ever happened to me. And I just think that's so cute. It is so cute. I I loved watching the documentary just to see her and Marty together, honestly. I'm a romantic. I'm sorry, guys. Exactly. Uh, She also said, uh, quote, he was the first boy I ever knew that cared that I had a brain. Oh, that's romantic. Mm, For real. And she said she tried dating. Like, she dated a bunch of guys before this, which I thought was pretty fun. She never had a second date for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, you know, for the first... uh, what was it she said the first, first semester e- she yeah. never had a second date with it yeah <laughs> hearing her describe that was hilarious and awesome <laughs> exactly but when she met marty the two of them fell in love uh they mm-hmm. were married nine days after ruth's graduation from cornell and the newlyweds were soon packing up their things as marty was drafted into the u.s army ruth and marty made a home in oklahoma where they were stationed in that time ruth gave birth to her first child, Jane. Aww. Exactly. So Marty resumed and then Ruth began school at Harvard. Now his undying support for her gives me great hope for my future, honestly. And for it is possible. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, oh okay, anyway. <laughs> he was so <laughs> proud of her and her studies. In fact, he's the one who said that she'd make the law review. And he was very, very adamant and very sure of this. And two two years later, she did. Now, to me, this is very important because if you dig deep into Ruth like we have, you'll see that, like, she's a very strong voice, but she she stands up for rights as a whole, but she doesn't always stand up for herself. So she had Marty to stand up for her in multiple different situations. And it wasn't like oh, she can't do this without me. It was, let me help her do this because I know she can. So They were better as a team. Honestly, they were a yin and yang. They were a complete team all together for each other's best success. Yeah, I love them. Now, when they were both at Harvard, Marty got cancer and he was very worn out from radiation. Ruth took care of him, studied, cared for their child, and helped him with his own homework all at once. She got like two hours of sleep. I have no idea how she survived. <laughs> right? It was a lot. Now, I barely sleep too, but I feel like I'm barely surviving and she's like thrived. I just, I don't understand it, but I right. love it. Right. She was, she was driven. She's like, this is what's got to be done. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? All hands on deck. This is what you do. Yep, <laughs> you exactly. down and do the work. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now at Harvard, there were only nine women. She said, it certainly felt like you were always being watched and that you had to be as perfect as you could 
because she felt as if she wasn't only representing herself, but representing all women. Now, the dean of Harvard Law reportedly asked the female law students to attend this special dinner, which they agreed to, and they all were very excited and thought it was very important. Right, it's the dean. Yeah. Absolutely. No, Ruth said it was a nice gathering. It felt good up until the end, where he individually asked every woman, why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man? Some say it was in jest, but even in jest, can you imagine what that would do to your morale, your self-worth, your dignity? Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was... (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd be mad. (laughs) That is a very difficult and awkward situation to be in, regardless of its intention. Mm -hmm. Right. It it sets a message. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Now, Marty did eventually recover from radiation. Thank goodness. And he got... uh, He recovered from cancer. And he got a new job in New York City. Now, at the time, it made the most sense for the family to move there, and Ruth transferred to Columbia to finish her studies. Now, Ruth said at this time it made most sense to support his career at this point in time, and when the time came, he fully supported her and did the same. Now, they had a marriage that was more progressive than its times, I would say, each party of equal importance, each taking jobs, each taking care of the family. In fact, when Ruth's daughter was 14, she said that she tried her father's cooking and Ruth was then banned from the kitchen for the rest (laughs) of her life. Literally, (laughs) Jane cooks for Ruth every month and gives her frozen meals. Like, Ruth is not allowed to cook anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Her daughter said, I didn't see a live vegetable until the age of 14. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what she said. It could have been her son as well, but I was... No, yeah, yep, that's exactly what was said. Yep. It's adorable. (laughs) Exactly. So Marty was such a good cook that he collected cookbooks and even wrote his own. Marty also had a great sense of humor to balance out Ruth's almost too serious vibes, which like, I'm almost too serious, but I'm not, I'm never as serious as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I tend to get like hyper-focused and serious. And so I appreciate people who are like goofy and balance you out. So no, I absolutely love that too, because it is very, uh, it is lovely to be able to be driven, to be serious, to be focused, but then to have, um, that person in your life, um, Mm -hmm. to, to lighten the mood, you know what I mean? To kind of like bring you back to center to kind of be like, all right, you're going way far in the red here. Right. Let's let's bring you back. (laughs) Let's let's bring it down a notch. So when Ruth and Marty moved to New York, Ruth struggled to find a job, though. She said, quote, when I graduated from Columbia Law School in 1959, not a law firm in the entire city of New York would employ me. Now, keep in mind, Ruth was in both the Harvard Law Review and the Columbia Law Review. And to make the law review, what that means is you are in the top 25 people of your class and these are not small institutions this is harvard and columbia (laughs) yeah also when ruth graduated from columbia she was tied for first in her class i mean first and she was having trouble finding a job she struggled because she was not only a woman but she was a mother and not many women lawyers at the time even existed and even fewer of them were mothers of young children now she had awesome support from marty and also the law professors at columbia they convinced judge edmund Palmieri of the u.s district court of the southern district of new york to offer ruth a job and ruth served as a clerk from 1959 to 1961. After her clerkship, Ruth worked as an associate director of the Columbia Law School's project on international procedure. This project involved researching Swedish law practices, and her findings were published along with co-writer Anders Bruyess in a book called Civil Procedure in Sweden. Very nice, right? Published. Very nice, yeah. (laughs) When that project was complete, Ruth went to become an assistant professor at Rutgers School of Law. And according to Britannica, quote, she was asked by the dean of the school to accept a low salary because of her husband's well-paying job. Seriously. Seriously. Keep on coming, right? While at Rutgers, Ruth became pregnant with her son, James. She hid her pregnancy as long as she could because there was laws at that time that women could be fired 
just for being pregnant. She continued at Rutgers and she earned her tenure there, by the way. So that's very nice. It means they can't fire her. Yeah. Right. Uh, When her students in the late 60s were wanting a new course covering women and the law. And this opened the door for what Ruth is notorious for. Women's (laughs) rights cases. I see what you did there. I know. I love throwing in the notorious anytime I can. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) Now, there was a woman by the name of Anne-Marie Bolin, who was a recent graduate of Rutgers School of Law, who was trying to establish a feminist journal in the 1970s. Now, she wrote the first edition of the Women's Right Law Reporter, published it out of her apartment in Newark. She shared the idea for the journal with the women's group who wanted to help the publication become successful, and it was suggested that they turn to her school she recently graduated from. Um, The women in the group met with the dean, James Paul, and he said that they would need to find a faculty advisor, find office space in the school, and raise their own funds. Now, this is where Ruth Bader Ginsburg comes in. She agreed to become the faculty advisor, and a space for the women's rights law reporter was found in an old building. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was pretty active in making sure that this happened. Now, the other people involved in this movement included feminist feminist activists, legal workers, and law students. The reporter examines legislative developments, significant federal and state court cases, judicial doctrines, litigation strategies, the lives and careers of prominent women jurists, and legal profession, and other areas of law or public policy related to women's rights. I looked this all up so that I would get it correct, because I, yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to look up exactly what this means so that I don't butcher it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, so the reporter finds the intersections between race, class, gender, and sexuality to be vital to the examination of the new legal developments affecting the lives of women. It is the oldest legal periodical in the United States, focusing exclusively on the field of women's rights law. With over 30 years of publication, the reporter has continued to cultivate the important legal dialogue. Now, the Women's Rights Law Report was moved to Rutgers campus in 1972 and became formally associated with the Rutgers in 1974. Like, oh, they finally went to, ex- they, they went to claim it as their own now. Well, <laughs> now that you it's, know. You know, as, it, as they do. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, Ruth spent years, decades even, of her life fighting small battles on sex discrimination. She believed that real true change comes gradually over time, not just with one quick decision. So she spent her whole life building so that sex discrimination would become a more prevalent issue in the court. Now, by the time she fought more complicated battles, she had the cases from her past to back her up. Because of this, she was able to have the backing she needed to co-author the first law school casebook on sex discrimination. Now, what a casebook is, is a type of textbook used primarily by students in law schools. Now, rather than simply laying out the legal doctrine in a particular area of study, a casebook contains excerpts from legal cases in which the law of that area was applied. Now, it is then up to the students to analyze the language of the case in order to determine what rule was applied and how the court applied it. So, casebooks sometimes also contain excerpts from law review articles and historical notes, editorial commentary, and other related materials to provide background for the cases. So, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was really a perfect person to write about this particular topic. Ruth was then brought in for a special project that the American Civil Liberties Union was working on to bring cases and legal support to the women's movement that was happening in the 1970s. Ruth was brought aboard the project as they were looking for cases that were heading towards the Supreme Court that would, quote unquote, make good law. So the model actually came from Thurgood Marshall as he was fighting for racial equality through the court system as well. So the team brought six cases to the Supreme Court. And the first was in 1973, and it was Frontero versus Richardson. It was a case of a woman in the Air Force who was not getting a housing allowance unlike her male colleagues. She and Brenda Fang took the time to explain and give the lay of the land of 
of what it was like for women being treated as second-class citizens. The nine Supreme Court justices, according to Ruth and Brenda, were attentive and perhaps learning something new. And Ruth quoted Sarah Grimke, the abolitionist and women's rights advocate, by saying to the highest court in America, quote, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our neck. That is literally one of the, my favorite quotes of all time. Like, uh, it is how- Sarah Grimke. Yeah, absolutely. That's There's where it comes the name. from. Okay. Okay. I was trying yep. real hard to look up who originally said that. And I like Google was like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm like, yes, I know. But she like- did say it and she said <laughs> she it did. in a court document, but she is quoting and she said in, in the testimony too, she, she, she did say that she was quoting yeah. somebody and I couldn't understand the name. Yes. Like, names are very hard for me to, to, there you go. Yeah. She's the no, Sarah so Grimke is also from the Grimke sisters. There were actually two sisters who were abolitionists okay. and fighting for women's rights as well. See, that's so, so cool. That's like they the are best fascinating. Way, that is the best concise way to describe feminism and women's rights and all that stuff. Like that is the most concise way I've ever heard it put. Like it's very right. simple. It puts it into perspective. It's like, no, this isn't an extreme. We just want to like be equal. That it's we're not extremists. Right. It's we're not better. <laughs> it's not worse. It's just, you know, stop yeah. trying to stop me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now Ruth and her team, they won the case and it allowed yes. for female military personnel to be entitled to the same dependence benefits as their male colleagues. This makes I'm doing like a happy dance right now. I like know, I right? It's like I'm celebration recording. win and win and yes. I'm like happy dance, happy dance, yay. <laughs> now the team, even though they were doing a happy dance as well, uh they were really hoping for like sweeping change for women's equality you know what I mean like we won and now it's all changed and everything's equal you know like everybody hopes for that uh but it was gonna have to be one case at a time that's the way the law works that's the way that culture changes we saw this in the civil rights movement as well um so it is what it is the next case that they brought to the supreme court was the 1975 weinenberger versus weisenfeld and it was a case where a woman had a normal pregnancy but when she and her husband went to the hospital she died of an amniotic embolism Mm. and it was leaving weisenfeld to care for his son as a single parent when he went to the social security office asking what benefits a single parent could get they told him that there was a mother's benefit but he couldn't get that. Now, equality swings both ways. And Ruth and her team at the ACLU, they were fighting for equality for all. And they took this case to the Supreme Court and again won. And this case proved how gender discrimination hurts everyone. Absolutely. And it was a very, very smart case to uh, to bring to the court. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, that's just two examples. Ruth would win five of the six cases uh, that uh, her and her team brought to the Supreme Court. Wow. Yeah. Now, there are 13 appellate courts that sit below the U.S. Supreme Court. I also looked this up to make sure I would get it right. They are called the U.S. Court of Appeals. Now, the 94 federal judicial districts are organized into 12 regional circuits each of which has a court of appeals. Now, this court's task is to determine whether or not the law was applied correctly in the trial court. Now, appeals courts consist of three judges, and they do not use a jury. Now, a court of appeals hears challenges to district court decisions from courts located within its circuit, as well as appeals from decisions of federal administrative agencies. Now, in addition, the Court of Appeals for Federal Circuit has nationwide jurisdiction to hear appeals in specialized cases, such as those involved involving patent laws and cases decided by the U.S. Court of International Trade and the U.S. Court of Federal Claims. Mm-hmm. Now, on November 20th of 1979, Judge Harold Leventhal actually passed away, but... This left an opening on the U.S. Court of Appeals. This is why I'm telling you about all of this. (laughs) Now, Ruth was nominated by President Jimmy Carter on April 14th of 1980 for the U.S. Court of Appeals. 
She was confirmed by the United States Senate on June 18th of 1980 and received her commission later that day. Now, during her time as judge on the D.C. Circuit, Ruth often found consensus with her colleagues, including conservatives like Robert H. Bork and Antonin Scalia. Now, Antonin Scalia is actually her very good friend. She's had a very good relationship with him, but their opinion their opinions according to the law are completely conflicting. Like they are the oh, most yeah. unlikely friendship you could probably ever think of. <laughs> oh yeah, they're kind of like freaking frack. They are the odd couple. They yeah, yeah it's Absolutely. totally bizarre. But they get along very very well. They yeah. do. <laughs> it's so funny. Now, her time on the court earned her a reputation as a cautious jurist and a moderate. She liked to bring people together in a a consensus and a popular vote. Now, on June 28, 1993, Justice Byron White retired from the U.S. Supreme Court, leaving a new opening. Now, it was said that there were many candidates, but Ruth's husband, Marty, made sure that people knew about Ruth and knew about her being a top competitor for the seat. Now, she is quiet, as we described earlier. She doesn't really pioneer for just herself, but her husband pioneered for her strongly. I saw a thing where uh, he basically kind of he called his friends and he oh, had this yeah. little he had this little book that had a whole bunch of people's names oh, in it and they, right. yeah. they were joked about it it made it sound sinister but it's really just like I have friends I'll call them like you know right. what I mean? <laughs> I'll tell them about my wife she's pretty cool she should be doing this job <laughs> right I'm just I'm gonna tell the really important people that I just happen to know from my life <laughs> Right. And, uh, you know, that kind of works. It is about who yeah. you know. It worked out. Yeah, exactly. It got to the president. That's it for sure. It did. It got to President Bill Clinton, and he nominated her as the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court on June 14th of 1993. So he said that it was her interview that did it. Um, he was encouraged to meet with her by colleagues, by the people Marty influenced, of course. But the interview itself went from a president interviewing a potential candidate to two friends talking about the law. Um, and he was hooked. This made Ruth the second female on the Supreme Court pretty much ever, right? She was the second one. Yeah, exactly. The second one behind, ever. Yeah, yeah, behind the who I call OG, uh, which is Sandra Day O'Connor. In this yeah. case would be original gal. absolutely oh yeah instead of original gangster see i'm just dropping i got you yeah we got to throw the little gangster stuff in i'm just saying og sandra day (laughs) o'connor i love it so yeah that's pretty much a big deal you know um ruth bader ginsburg being on the justice of the supreme court at the time she was would they say in her 60s and they considered her to be almost too old for the position and so people were doubting that she would even get it but marty was like no that's that's pretty much bull like she deserves this and now she can totally do the job yeah she can totally do the job and she's still doing the job and she's 86 so i mean Mm -hmm. i think that was a solid decision so yeah. Just my unbiased personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're not like super fans or anything. Oh, wait, we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> so uh, now with two ladies on the Supreme Court, uh, Ruth took her seat on the bench. And I looked at the, the cases. There's Obviously, there have been a good number of cases that have come across the Supreme Court while RBG has been on the bench. But I grabbed a a few of them to kind of paint um, a picture of her time in the Supreme Court. Um, So there was the Ledbetter versus Goodyear case that came to the Supreme Court in 2006. Now, Justice Ginsburg, at that point, was the only woman on the bench. Now, our OG, our original gal, Sandra Day O'Connor, had retired earlier that year. Now, the case was about pay discrimination, and it was based on the fact that Ledbetter was getting paid less for the same work because she was female. Goodyear was the victor, and Justice Ginsburg voiced her dissent, which meant she did not agree with the court's majority vote. She explained to the court, once again, what it's like for women. She also challenged Congress to pick up where the court had failed when it comes to pay discrimination. And you know what? 
they did. Yes. <laughs> yes. The very first bill that President Obama signed when he took office was the Lilly Ledbetter Pay Restoration Act. And that yes. was based on that court. Right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I feel like our last episodes, I felt, like, discouraged about where we've come, like, how far we've come in politics. Right. And, like, this time, I'm like, okay. Like, it still sucks, but I feel encouraged because, like, we're still fighting and we've got a fighting chance still. Like, right. There's, there is <laughs> definitely an ebb and flow. There's a little forward and then there's a way back. And then there's, you know, way, way forward and then some way back. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it is, it is take it one at a time. Yep. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, another case was the 2013 Shelby County versus Holder. And that case was about race discrimination at the voting booths as removing part of the Voting Rights Act. Now, Justice Ginberg dissented again, saying, quote, throwing out preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory changes is like throwing away your on in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. I loved that. It painted a picture and it was very stern. Uh, This particular dissent made her pretty popular on social media. And I will hand that over to Phoebe (laughs) to to talk about how that happened. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, We'll get to the social media part in just just a little bit. Um, First, I want to tell you some fun things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has gotten into. So RBG and Scalia, as we talked about before, has a meaningful friendship where they actually hang out and enjoy each other's company. They couldn't be more opposite, but their friendship remains strong. Now, in an interview, Scalia was asked about their friendship and he said, quote, she's nice. She likes the opera. What's not to like? Except for her political opinions, of course. And they all laughed. (laughs) Now, because of their unusual friendship and Ruth's deep love for the opera, there was actually an opera created based off of their friendship and their lives. It's this comedic opera entitled Scalia slash Ginsburg with the slogan, quote, We are different. We are one. An American comic opera in one act by Derek Wang Liberato. Now, it was launched at a special presentation at the Supreme Court of the United States in 2013. Now, Ruth also made a guest appearance in an opera, which is separate from the one about her. This opera is called The Daughter of the Regiment. It's an 1840 operatic rom-com by Italian composer. Um, She had a speaking role as the queen, and she said that she basically wrote her own lines. Now, in the documentary RBG, you could see her beaming from ear to ear. It was so cute. Like, she was on stage. It was very cute. It was. Um, She says the the opera is one place where she gets totally enthralled, totally enveloped. She doesn't think about our court cases. She doesn't think about the world. She's just in the moment, and it's beautiful. It's her happy place, and it's also her, like, respite. You know what I mean? She can Mm -hmm. take a break there. Yeah, I love that. Everybody needs to have that. Absolutely. Now, five or six years back, Ruth was turned into a meme by a lost school student, um, which is what Leah was talking about. Now, this meme called her the, quote, Notorious RBG, which was based off of the rapper, the Notorious B.I.G., Yes. (laughs) I love both of them. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's fair. Now, when asked about how she felt about this name, Ruth said, why would I be upset? He and I have a lot in common. We were both born in Brooklyn. I love that. Right? Now, because (laughs) she has like a great sense of humor. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Now, because of this new name, her growing popularity, and basically being a strong point in the women's rights movement, there are, of course, books and other such things about her life. Now, among those are the book entitled The Notorious RBG, published in 2015. Plus, there's a classical music album by the same name. Oh, actually, I didn't know about the music. Nice. Yeah, I tried looking it up and I found the music first. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Which I'm pretty sure that's also still separate from the opera, too. So there's like all of this like music and books and different things about her, which is pretty cool. I tried listening to it and then I'm like, I got like 10 minutes. I can't. I can't do it right now. Right. Yeah. Needs full attention on it. Yeah. Absolutely. When you have time. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) 
The Notorious RBG book was actually written by the Notorious RBG Tumblr creator. Um, it's a collection mm-hmm. of Ruth's life as a whole and includes an interview of Ruth even. There are other books as well, though, about Ruth, including ones she wrote herself called In My Own Words. Mm-hmm. Now, Mary Hartnett and Wendy W. Williams also contributed to this book. So it talks about her opinions on the law, talks about her life, and much more. So Ruth also has a workout program written by Bryant Johnson. Um, and that's all, like, in a book as well. And it's all about how RBG stays strong, and you can too. And it's, yes. like, it looks pretty fun. I'm almost scared to read it because she can do more push-ups than I can. And yeah, yeah. I'm True. like, mm, I'm almost 25. I don't really have great excuse right now. So <laughs> gotta, yeah. Got to muscle up like RBG. I know, right? <laughs> like, mm, maybe I should take some notes. <laughs> there was also a movie about her that was released of Christmas of 2018 entitled On the Basis of Sex, which mm-hmm. I admit, when I first saw the posters, I really wasn't that interested in watching due to my lack of political involvement. But now I really wish I went and saw it in the theaters because it looks really cool now that I know what's going on and I understand the importance. I tried. There was like two or three different times that it's like, okay, let's go see that on such and such night. And then that such and such night comes up. And it was either somebody was sick or somebody had to go somewhere. I had to drop, you know, a kid off at a play right. uh, or um, or somebody wasn't feeling well. And it's right. like, oh, man. And then by the time and it was even Valentine's Day, we were thinking, OK, yeah. last chance. We're going to go ahead to go see it on Valentine's Day before it leaves. It right. was gone. It had already oh. left the theater the Friday before Valentine's Day. Oh, like, that sucks. I hate it when so, that yeah. happens. I but it did, it, it did stay in the theaters for a good amount of time. But I like it, did and I heard excellent things about it I too. And too. I'm gonna and I looked see up the, it. Oh my gosh! I looked up the trailer today, and now that I know about her life, I was like, Oh my gosh, that looks! Oh my gosh, they did that so well! Oh my gosh! Right, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's like I, the, the same. Like they had the right feel to it. Like mm-hmm. after, oh man, I'm so. And they did have her input because I did uh, oh, watch good. interviews. Okay. So, but the weird thing was, mm-hmm. her input was not about her character. She was very what? adamant about getting Marty's character right. Oh, that was her I input. Really, now I she really would, want to watch it. I know, I know. So yeah, that That's was what love was right important there. to that her. Is, that yeah. is true love right there. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> Actually, admittedly, that's why I wanted to watch the movie, because I want to watch how they portrayed their relationship. Mm-hmm. And now I really want to, because now I know they got it right. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Man, or, so if, you know, at least the real RBG least... told them how to do it, whether they did it or not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. At least it's like as close as it could be for a movie like made exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> So the documentary we watched, RBG, it shows us all these collars that she wears. She said that the robes were designed to show the collar and tie typical from a man's suit. And so she and Sandra Day O'Connor thought it would be appropriate to add different collars that would be typical of a woman. Now she shows us beautiful different collars on this documentary that she wears at different times. Um, Some for specific times, like announcing an ascending or a descending opinions. She has other collars as well, and most of them are actually gifts to her from her friends or from travels and stuff. And yeah. my favorite one actually was the one from, I believe it was Hawaii, and it has the yeah. beads from um, the beach. So that one was With my the lace. favorite. It was like the lace and mm-hmm. the beads. That was mm-hmm. really, I thought that was that, gorgeous. I thought that was and cool. Sweet. <laughs> so back to Marty for just a little bit, because they very much, uh, their stories are yin and yang and intertwined and Absolutely. lovely. Now, Absolutely. Marty was a tax lawyer and he practiced, it, practiced in New York. Uh, and in many interviews, um, he people will talk about how fabulous he was at his job. I mean, there's not like, you know, the best tax lawyer in town. You know, uh, they say that, but that's generally not a thing that anybody brags about. You know what I mean? It's kind right. of... It's it's not a it's not a very sexy job. Let me put it that way. <laughs> it's tax law, but Marty was very good at it. Uh, he was also very supportive of his wife, and he showed an incredible sense of humor. And he would always say, "quote I moved to Washington because my wife got a good job there." I mean, she's a Supreme Court justice, so it's, um, you know, 
Yeah. I would say, yeah, that's a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, so from the video footage that I have seen, he's usually smiling and he's joking. And at her confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court, he's generally in awe of her. He really did love that brain of hers and he really did take care of her. Uh, he did the utmost to make sure that she ate at least once a day and got at least a few hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> It was very cute, the struggle between, can you just get a few hours of sleep and one meal? Could you do that? Right. It was cute. It's so cute. Uh, unfortunately, his job of taking care of Ruth and making sure that she ate and got a couple hours of sleep was turned over to someone else because mm-hmm. in 2010, Marty lost his battle with cancer. Mm. Now, Ruth knows cancer just too well. Having lost her mother and her husband to it, she has also had two cancer scares. The first was in 1999, and it was around that time that Justice O'Connor, again, the OG, uh, she advised her to have her chemo done on a Friday so that she could return to work on Monday after having the weekend to be sick. Uh, Ruth would have a second cancer scare 10 years later. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Now, Ruth's workouts are almost as notorious as she is. Phoebe, you were talking about the book because there's a whole book. There's a whole book. You can do the workouts with her. Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. Now, she started these workouts actually to build muscle strength um, back after her first cancer scare. So she very much was trying to get herself back in shape. And Stephen Colbert of The Late Show actually (laughs) worked out with her. And he kind (laughs) of. He got his butt kicked working out with a with a woman in her eighties, and it was mm-hmm. hilarious. It was, hilarious. Uh, but yeah, she does twenty push ups, and the gal also planks for like you know thirty seconds. She like mm-hmm. holds it, and because yeah. it's more strenuous. Uh, right. So yeah, so she is eighty six years old today, and again, Yay. it is so cool that we get to release this episode on her birthday. Um, and so, in her own words, on a possible retirement, she has said, "quote." I will do this job as long as I can do it full steam. And when I can't, that will be the time I will step down. Mm. Now, remember, Justice John Paul Stephen retired in 2010, and he was 90 years old. So (laughs) y'all chillax. She's 86 today. So we're good. We're good. I'm not worried. All right. (laughs) Let's just say we're good. (laughs) Exactly. She's fighting really hard for us. Both physically and in the law and in every which way possible, she is fighting for us. And it's very comforting to know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So even though she is still working um, Mm -hmm. and she is still kicking all the butt, what legacy do you think she wants to leave behind that she's like still working towards? Absolutely. Um, I think it's pretty much as simple as... uh, everybody should be treated equal and should be seen as equal through the law like i think that was her her biggest legacy she wants to leave behind is to let everybody everybody not just women not just men like Mm -hmm. she's a big supporter of the lgbtq rights um yep racial rights racial discrimination she immigrant rights immigrants exactly she wants Mm -hmm. every single person to be seen as equal by the law and that is very commemorative commendable there it is that is what i'm going for yes i was like i don't know what i'm trying to say but that is that is very commendable and a very valiant effort and i think that's simply all she wants yeah I'm going to cheat because I found her answer in an interview. Of course you did. (laughs) Of course. It's unfair. I found it like as I was looking through quotes. I I never think about doing that because. Well, we end with a quote. And so that's the last thing that I do is look for a quote that kind of, you know, sums up the, you know, the life that we have learned about and stuff like that. And so it it had this one about her legacy. So Mm -hmm. it was. It's an interview, uh, and it was with MSNBC, and it was in 2015, um, Mm -hmm. and she was asked what she would like to be remembered for, and so she responded, quote, someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability, and to help repair the tears in her society to make things a little better through the use of whatever Mm -hmm. ability she has, to do something, as my colleague David Shouter would say, outside myself. 
because I've gotten much more satisfaction for the things that I've done for which I was not paid. And I thought that was very interesting wow. and, you know what I mean, very telling. Yeah. So, you know, to to do your best work because it's your best work and that it's not about the money. And this is something that we have found a couple of times, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with the gals that we've covered. Um, the legacy isn't the best at something, the most at something, you know. For mm-hmm. RBG, it's just, look, I can do this and it helps society. So I'm just going to do it. Cool. Right. <laughs> I love that. Wow. <laughs> Right, exactly. So yes, I cheated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it, no, it's fine. You're fine. <laughs> I was, I was like, for some reason, so shocked. I was like, I should get used to right. this by now. But I'm always like, oh wait, we're we usually research gals who were like so far back that they didn't. We can't find interviews. So well, I'm always like, oh times, wow, I don't nobody. Even think about it. Yeah, either they don't ask, or we haven't found, or. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's an odd thing. And a lot of times it is just, you know, our interpretation sort of thing, Absolutely. which is any which way we come at it. Uh, but here's one that we can't Google and right. one that we can't necessarily <laughs> cheat at. And it's our personal experience. So what did right. you personally learn from uh, Notorious RBG here? <laughs> so personally, I think I learned baby steps. Um, she I, said, I dig it. Yeah, because she said that she... Like, they wanted to change the women's rights movement, like, uh, a lot, of course. But yeah, it like, was instantly. All, like, instantly. <laughs> like, one fell swoop. Done. But we fixed it. Equality exactly. for everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they want to. But she recognized the fact that that's not possible. And yeah. so she tackled it in such a way where she knew it was not possible to do it in one fell swoop. So she went and tackled individual... We'll call it baby cases, for lack of a better term, even though they were right. still big deals. They they were still a big deal, but they were like, they were they were small in comparison to what her end goal was. And yes. for me, that's super inspiring because it's it's all about forward progression and baby steps. And you know, you might have a big goal in life, you might have this big dream, but the baby steps and the smaller stepping stones still matter. And you should plan accordingly to those stepping stones because they matter. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you're moving forward. Just Mm -hmm. keep moving forward. Absolutely. Whatever that particular way is. Yeah. Yep. I love it. So what about you? Uh, I learned once again, um, and I think it's something that I do not mind once again that I learned this over and over again because it's important. Uh, We're all given special talents. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to be good at everything. I think that's important because I think, especially with women, we try to, we try to do everything and be everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we're given special talents and, you know, it's kind of that stay in your lane. Do you, are you really good at something? Do that. You know, that's what the world needs you. Um, Are you comfortable doing that? Then do that and do it awesome. You know, people will appreciate. Um, Because also that's why we have friends because our friends can be good at the things that we're not. (laughs) <laughs> that's so and true. we can rely on them yeah and they can teach us and be like no that's cool but you keep doing it because because <laughs> right. i'm gonna keep doing this so i mean you can also argue that's m- why there's more than one human being on the planet too you know what i yeah, mean like we're, we yeah. <laughs> we can all be good at different things there's more than one of us so right. <laughs> no pressure uh but rbg she works really hard she understands the law i will say that is not a strong suit of mine i look yeah, at a lot no. of law you know dictation and and documents and stuff like that as we go through different ladies of history and i'm like that is some gobbledygook <laughs> yeah basically i don't understand some of this law language she mm-hmm. gets it she loves I, it i was afraid to do ruth bader ginsburg because right, i don't understand stuff. I was like, right. I'm just gonna quote verbatim because I have no idea what. Right, exactly. I can't yes. reiterate this because I don't understand it. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> and that is fair. But you understand her passion for it because Absolutely. that's universal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I also love that she is soft yet commanding. Mm-hmm. She really is. She's small in stature. She looms larger than life. You know what I mean? In celebrity. She's like a paradox. Yeah. And I think I love that paradoxical, you know, ness sort of thing about her because she reminds you to never judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Um, she is a, a case example of, you know, what some could just glance and be like, this small little frail woman, she is on the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> she is extremely important to our laws and way of life. And when the girl dissents, 
uh, Congress and the people listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is a very powerful voice in this small little frame. Um, Also, we have gotten through nearly the entire episode and I haven't mentioned my cat. (laughs) I can't believe we did that. I can't believe we succeeded on that, actually. Right? Exactly. So ironically, the um, the first day that the RBG documentary was uh, released on Hulu, I gathered my daughters together and we started watching it. And my girls were totally entranced by RBG. They loved her. They loved her quiet strength. They loved her like power in a pocket sized portion, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they loved seeing her speak truth to power. They were like cheering when she was doing her speeches and her dissent mm-hmm. and her. Yeah, exactly. They were loving it. Um, so just before the documentary was over, though, my husband came home from work and he had with him a four week old kitten that he found shivering on a country road with the temperatures that were dropping rapidly. Mm. Um, This tiny, tiny little black kitten had a very fierce meow and very fierce eyes to go right along with them. So after confirming in my own court, one would say, uh, Mm -hmm. we elected to have the kitten named RBG. It was a vote from of three to one. I will not point out who dissented. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. We did have one dissenter, and when I pointed out that one person was dissenting, that kind of, like, reconfirmed that the kitten's name was going to be RBG. (laughs) And so we call it, when she was very, very little, because she's almost four months old now, um, when she was very, very little, we called her Baby Ruth. So, yeah, so Baby Ruth and RBG, and when we shout for her, uh, when she's getting on microphones and getting into trouble, it's very fun to shout a um, a three named name. You know, Ruth Bader yeah. Ginsburg, get over here. You know, Sarah Jessica Parker, stop it. You know, like any three <laughs> three names is really certain. That's why your mother uses your full name when you're oh, in yeah. trouble. I have I have two middle names, so it's even oh. more fun. Like oh. I, like when my mother uses my my first middle name i'm like okay i'm moderate in trouble when she uses my full name like all four of them i'm like oh my god you are going down basically yeah exactly yeah (laughs) you better run yeah (laughs) oh yeah it's on (laughs) but yes uh, i will ridiculously post a picture of my kitten uh, and yes, of course, we have put descent collars on her. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's adorable. <laughs> she's very, very cute, and she's exactly. black too, like the judge, the, like yep. the robe and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, man, she's fully black, and she's really like, um, she has a very shiny coat, so Aww. it's kind of like the silk robes. It's right. yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. Sweet. Well, next week we are talking about a woman who knows why the cage bird sings, Dr. Maya Angelou. So until then, here's a quote from the notorious RBG. I'm sometimes asked when there will be enough women on the Supreme Court, and I say when there are nine, and people are shocked. But there'd been nine men, and nobody ever raised a question about that. For more information about this week's gal, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening to Your Gal Friday. 